0: Welcome to the Pharmacy Business and Career Network podcast brought to you by the Pharmacy Guild of Australia, focusing on pharmacy management and ownership. The PBCN podcast supports the improvement and growth of your business performance with insights and advice from a range of industry professionals the pbcn podcast supporting your journey every step of the way
1: 2022 was just like any year for community pharmacy it's what we've come to expect pharmacists on the front line continuing their amazing commitment and efforts in supporting and caring for their patients and the wider australian population Once again, community pharmacies have continued to show that they are ready, able and willing to provide vaccinations and health services to all Australians, as well as to continue to provide expert medication advice and management. In 2022 we surpassed 100 episodes of the PBCN podcast, a show that has had the immense pleasure of hosting some fantastic guests who have shared amazing stories, experiences, challenges, insights and advice. It speaks volumes for the pharmacy community, whether it was pharmacists themselves finding some time to come on the show because we all know how busy they are or whether it was those that support pharmacies coming on the show to share and help the pharmacies because they want to support the industry. With each show kicking off with a short snippet from a guest as an interesting part of the conversation to look forward to, once again we've gone back through all of the episodes from 2022 and pulled out the full question and full answer for you and put them together into some more best bits of episodes. As such, you can expect two shows full of short and sharp advice from each of our guests as we look back at 23 shows, those being episodes 90 through to 112. And we will do that across the next two episodes, with this being our eighth volume of our best bits of the PBCM podcast. Let's get started with episode 90, where Christy Lee Rigby from Pharmacy Platform spoke to us about starting the business year off right. I do love the focus, technology and talent, but I also love that phrasing that you used earlier on about working on the business as opposed to in the business. I've always loved that saying. I think it always gives us a bit of a a chance to pause and think about where we're focusing our day-to-day efforts. I feel like my next question is a very leading question, but I think it is important to ask it and talk about it, and that is that given the scale of impact On the economy that we've seen over the last, say, 24 months, how important is it, do you think, for pharmacy owners in the current economic climate to be on top of their business management?
2: It's very important. And at the moment, there's I I see three types of people, three types of um, business owners or business management. The first group of people are those that they believe that we are actually still going to go back to normal, that... This two years um, is not normal and we will go back to a pre-COVID life. Um, the second group of people are those that are still riding out this disruption, um, this is COVID, but when it's all over, um, then we'll think about implementing change and thinking about the future of our business. But then third, the third group of people are those that are acknowledging that life as we know it before COVID, that's no longer an option. Even where we were two years ago or a year ago during COVID has changed. We're not going back to the the way that was. Um, And we need to be actively and continuously reviewing our business models to understand what our customers and patients wants and needs are. Because at the end of the day, we need to ask ourselves as business managers or business owners, what business are we in? are we in the business of health? And with health, it's a really great business to be in. It's, you get so much satisfaction from it. Um, but it can be really hard to take that long-term view when you're in, in the thick of it, you're in that eye of the storm. But finding your long-term role as a key component in the healthcare network at the moment will be key to understanding how your business's long-term vision can actually affect your short-term Um, everyday business activities. And so once you understand what your long-term vision is, then you can look at how you're going to get there.
1: Heidi Darius from Ravens Recruitment joined us in episode 91 and spoke about kickstarting the year by kickstarting your career. We're feeling positive, we're feeling enthusiastic that we can find the right role. What sort of tips can you share for those people to help them make themselves stand out and and really make an employer think, yes, I want to employ that person.
3: If we look at it from an employer perspective, when anyone's looking to hire a new staff member, you're looking for two things. So you're looking for someone that can do the work, deliver great results for the business, but you're also looking for someone that will fit in and be a great addition to the team. So obviously the first comes down to your experience and qualifications while well, the second focus is more on those soft skills. So how you communicate with others, how you organise your time, are you flexible, You know, willing to take on feedback, learn from your mistakes. So to stand out in an interview particularly, um, you need to be able to sell yourself with confidence, but not arrogance. So when I speak with candidates, um, when I'm counselling them and prior to interview, I always get them to prepare a sales pitch. So Focus on say three to four key qualities that would make someone successful in the role that they're applying for, um, and then provide examples of when they've displayed that using their background experience, you know, whether it be from work they've done within pharmacy or from volunteer work, university, or anywhere really. I know that a common concern for all new graduates is that they have limited experience within pharmacy. Um, And then they feel that that's going to put them at a disadvantage over other applicants that have more experience. Um, But I tell them all the same thing. Despite that lack of experience within the industry, speaking with hundreds of pharmacy employers, they will always prefer to hire someone with a little less experience, but who's driven and motivated to learn and succeed.
1: In episode 92, we caught up with Adele Tehan to speak about International Women's Day. The pharmacy industry has a significant female workforce, yet we see a decline in the numbers that then transition from working in a pharmacy into ownership and particularly leadership roles. What do you think that is? What contributes to that, do you think?
0: I think uh, women, they are not the type who will shout and yell and say, hey, I'm here. I would like to be part of this. I'd love like to be involved in this. And I'd like to put a shout out out, out there for every single woman who um, aspire to be in a leadership role. Put your hand up. He-he. Contact us. Contact us. Talk to us. Uh, come to us. I'm asking to be part of this. I would love to be a mentor and to help someone to achieve their purpose by getting into leadership position. Because empowered women empower women. So it's important that we empower them. And I think it's important for women to feel safe, the psychological safety. Uh, And even if they don't succeed straight away, it's a journey. It's never about the destination. It's a journey. It's more exciting to actually try to aim to get somewhere and to work for it and to um, get, uh, you know, the right people around you, get the networking around you and to, uh, you know, work uh, one day at a time to getting where you want to be. So, yeah, I, I encourage anybody who wants to be in a leadership position to go for it. Don't hesitate.
1: Phil Chapman from Lease One spoke about navigating leases in episode ninety three. I know we should try and focus on positives as much as possible, but I appreciate how much of a uh, a negative impact that mistakes around leases can have on a business, and it, it can directly threaten the viability of a business. Are there any common mistakes that you see being made a lot?
4: Well, this is even pre-COVID, uh, Daniel. It's, it's not leveraging time. And look, the changes back over a decade now in the um, location rules have shifted the power in respect to, uh, you know, pharmacy own- ownership of pharmacy numbers. So leveraging time all more important now so that your site doesn't get churned and you've got control of what's going on into the future and you can you can begin in, in, t- somewhat take charge of your own destiny. If you don't leverage time, the landlord's going to wind the clock down on you. That gives them more opportunities and more options to go out and, and look, talk to other people, talk to other pharmacy groups, however they want to do that. If you leverage time, get in early, have those conversations, lock your lease in, renew early, take landlords out of their cycle, then you're going to have a much more valuable pharmacy, a much more secure pharmacy, and you're certainly going to see a brighter future for that business. But leveraging time is uh, is, my, is my safe box.
1: In episode 94, Guild Pharmacy of the Year winner, Colin Court, joined us to discuss their success. It's clear that you have a really close, passionate and committed team at Cullum and Court. And it was wonderful to see so many of you at APP and how you dragged all of them up on stage and they all had massive smiles on their face. Can you tell us a little bit about the team and, and how you go about fostering what everybody has come to realise is such a great team environment, which is particularly around collaboration and innovation?
5: Yeah, yeah, of course. And look, from a very early stage in my career, we, we used to talk about the bus and getting the right people on the bus and and I think it's really true. You know, you, you want the right people on the bus, and if you've got people that aren't committed, that aren't of the same mindset, that aren't of the same drive, the same passion, um, the same patient focus, the same care, then those people shouldn't be on the bus. And I think sometimes it, it can be really easy to fall into this trap of putting up with the devil you know because you know you're better with the devil you know rather than the one you don't. But um, my advice and my my suggestion would be, if you don't think you've got the right people on the bus, either try and turn them into the right person and keep get them on the bus and keep them on the bus or go looking for the right people and then that really i think is, has been the key to our success and I would also say and you know it can be really hard when you're down and out but uh, you know success breeds success to an extent and i think you know you want to become that employer of choice um and you know getting an award like uh, pharmacy of the year from the guild is um helps, I suppose, and I feel a bit guilty in that respect because all of a sudden, you know, you're more likely to pick up that good intern, you're more likely to pick up that good pharmacist because they want to go to the place where where the success is and where the team is strong. But um, you've got to start somewhere. So getting the right people on the bus is critical. Unfortunately, we've got 50-odd 50 odd people on the books here and we would typically have about 15 FTEs, including six pharmacists on and a couple of nurses at, at any one point in time. So, you know, I think you've got to staff your business to suit suit the needs of it and uh and obviously the the more professional staff you've got on, the easier everybody's job is and it, it becomes less less of a chore trying to get all those vaccinations done because everybody's working together and you don't feel like you have to do it alone and that certainly is is has been a another uh point of difference and, and a, one way that we've been able to differentiate ourselves into a service provider um, where everybody's happy doing it and there's there's less uh, pharmacist and nurse fatigue. Although I think if you ask my team, they'd say they're pretty fatigued right now.
1: We learned all about guiding valuable change from Brendan Baker in episode 95. Maybe to tie it together to get help people take that first step, for those that are listening and they feel inspired and they want to get started soon, what's one piece of advice you would give them to, to get them to take that first step?
6: Slow down is probably the first step, uh, especially off the back of the last couple of years. It's take a moment slow down and pull up from the weeds um, and stop thinking about the solution stop jumping straight to the solution we, we're all we are all guilty of that I'm more than anyone else probably you know we jump immediately to the solution so it's pull back a couple steps let's figure out why we're doing this let's figure out how we're going to prove we are successful and then with that in mind then figure out what you need to do and do it in that order that's That's where you need to start and that's absolutely um, crucial for ensuring that whatever change, whether it's, uh, you know, a new process uh, and you can roll it out in a week or whether it's a strategic entire new arm of your business that takes 18 months to get up and running, either end of that, that is where you
1: need to start. For Heart Week 2022, Scott Carpenter and Nick Salkeld spoke about how a defibrillator can save a life in Episode 96. Thanks so much for joining us today. It's great to chat to you and continue to raise awareness on what is such a critical issue because it's definitely a confronting statistic that one Australian every four minutes is suffering a heart attack or a stroke because it literally could be anyone you know or pass in the street. It's a big problem to take on. So a couple of questions here. How do you approach it? What's your mission at Heart 180 and how did you get involved in the cause yourself?
7: Thanks, Daniel. That's a really good question. I I might start with how I got involved, Uh, and a little bit of a story here was that uh, I uh, had two decades of a career in the pharmacy industry, which we might talk a little bit later on about, and. that came to a, an end about five years ago due to a business restructure. And uh, whilst initially, as you know, most people might have to deal with that as you know, what's next? What do you do? I guess I just decided to go with the flow and see what happened. And ultimately, from a, a mental health and a fitness perspective, I took up hiking. Now I live in Victoria. You know, within two to three hours, I've got access to some of the you know the best landscapes in Australia. And on this one particular um, weekend, I was up hiking near Falls Creek. And within the space of about two hours, um, I missed getting struck by lightning three times. Now, here's the connection because um, when when you're talking defibrillation, it's about electric shock, electric charge. And, uh, you know, this happened prior to me getting involved with the Heart 180. But I guess that weekend I drove down off the mountain and uh, you see in the car for two hours driving back home. And i I'm just sitting there thinking, well, you know, obviously it wasn't my day to go today. There must be a reason that I'm still here. There must be something that I've got to do. And within the next two weeks, I received a, a phone call from Guy Leach, who, which referred to me through some pharmacy contracts to, uh, to see if I could help him with uh, his mission. So let's talk about the Heart 180 mission and Guy's mission. Heart 180 is about the heart and also 180 stands for the seconds. So the optimum time in terms of the mission is to get a defibrillator within 180 seconds of, of every Australian. And this is becoming more and more prevalent. You know, A week's not going by at the moment where either someone we know or um, a sports person or, or someone on the news is suffering as you saw, a heart attack or a stroke. And ultimately, the the ability to save that person comes down to having someone nearby that can do CPR is first and foremost. Secondly, getting on the triple O emergency operator to actually give you directions in terms of what you should do and get a help on the way as quickly as you can. But then thirdly is actually to, in quite a lot of the cases, to have a defibrillator either accessed or handy nearby. But if I come back to, and I guess just summarise that slightly, is that five years ago, I guess I knew a little bit about defibrillators. I certainly knew Guy Leach, having grown up with him, certainly within my era. I had no knowledge of um, his experience with uh, having lost a mate. you know, and, And as you said, you've had him on before, talking around that as to how he got involved with it as well. And now, I guess, my foray into the pharmacy industry. So, you know, what we're doing in terms of approaching it is working really closely with the Guild with our own separate mission, and that is to get a defibrillator within every pharmacy in Australia by 2025.
1: Clinical governance, what does it mean for me, was a topic in episode 97, and we spoke to Claire Bekema and Chloe Hennessy. Claire, thanks for joining us today. Clinical governance. It's a term that we are hearing more and more about in healthcare more broadly, and rightly so, because it is important. Can you explain to our listeners why we are talking about this topic more and more in community pharmacy, though?
8: Thanks, Daniel. So I suppose we're all aware that patients and and the community um, have a great deal of trust in in health professionals in general and and the health service providers, um, including pharmacy, and they trust us to provide really safe and high-quality care. But you know, sometimes things do go wrong and there are safety and quality incidents or lapses. And these can have a really major effect on people's lives and sometimes on the broader health system. Reviews of these incidents often show that they occur due to problems in implementing clinical governance processes. So I'm sure we'll talk about what that means in a bit later, but I just wanted to really highlight the fact that, yes, health professionals and pharmacists have a uh, professional responsibility to, uh, for their own practice. Uh, but pharmacy owners, as the governing body, if you like, of that health service provider, the pharmacy, are ultimately accountable for everything that happens in their pharmacy. So they're accountable for the delivery of safe and quality services to their patients and the community. And it is actually the legal and professional responsibility of pharmacy owners to be present in their business whether they are actually physically present or not. So safe and quality services are supported by having good clinical governance. So that's why it really is important at the moment that we that we start elevating this in, in the community pharmacy network.
1: We heard some great stories and advice on how to connect with your local Indigenous community through community profiling with Johnny Briggs in episode 98. I liked your framing earlier about education, awareness, confidence. Community profiling, as you describe it just there, sounds like a uh, an important step and it gives a community pharmacy direction. But to distill it a little, what would you summarise the benefits of community profiling? being? If a community pharmacy undertakes community profiling, what can they expect from it? So if the community pharmacist's
6: is restricted by time which all of us are in the busy world we're working in the benefit of community profiling allows them to understand targeted time allocation so that we can make the time then to make a commitment to either attending you know uh, interagency meetings or forums that are indigenous specific or specific to that community where there's indigenous participation So back in the 90s, I used to attend interagency meetings, and that might be from welfare agencies, government departments, um, mining companies. Whoever wants to come in and have a voice to a community would attend that meeting and they'd put their um, items on the agenda and they'd discuss and promote their work or their intention to work in a community or the continuity of that work. And one of the the considerations here is that by doing that, uh, you're also targeting specifically the time allocation around when are those services available? When do they operate? When do the families, the key families in those communities, do they attend those meetings? Or do I need to attend community family uh, functions in, in different settings, like it might be at NADOC or National Reconciliation Week events in the community, not actually through a service provider? So the community profiling really is beneficial uh, to give the pharmacist an understanding of building the relationship before the partnership, because... Ultimately, what this is all about is forming long-term sustainable partnerships. But often we get tied up with trying to meet the goal of the partnership and forgetting the importance of the relationship first that will establish the bonds of trust and transparency, which in many communities is very important because we want to build that trust early to be able to capture the goodwill of the pharmacist is obviously demonstrating by reaching out. So I think the key to this, Daniel, is relationship before partnership by going into the community and understanding the kinship, which is who are the families, who are the mobs, and how do they all relate to either service delivery or their community? Um, and when you're doing all that, you're building companionship. And what the companionship does is it starts to build trust because the different families will start to trust the pharmacist, they'll understand more about the pharmacist reaching out. And if we do all of that, we're actually doing very effective what we call culturally appropriate leadership. So it's relationship partnership, kinship, companionship. And that's what we really encourage if a pharmacist is wanting to take a strategic approach to embedding um, their connection or relationships with their local Indigenous communities.
1: In episode 99, Brad Butt joined us to talk men's health as part of Men's Health Week 2022. I think you make a good point there about the day one, the soft launch and it being a a slow burn. I think that's an important point for people to keep in mind. So Brad, for other pharmacists that can continue to try and build healthy environments for men and boys, what advice or information would you share with them about how best to achieve that and engage with their male patients and the community?
5: Oh, I think you just got to be open and upfront and, and, you know, don't be afraid to Started a difficult conversation i often refer to this some of these topics are a bit like pandora's box you open open the box and you can't shut it you know it can be and that that in itself can be a challenge and i think you know you've got to sometimes be willing to take the first step because sometimes your male patients won't you know they'll just come in as you know they come in they tell you the daily joke you know they, they come in with their wife they bring you bring you a cup of coffee or some some slice or um you know they do all of those really nice things for you but but often you're too busy to to think about asking them how they're getting on, or asking a pointed question, a direct question um, on, you know, how did you get on with that new medication you just started, or how you're finding, whatever it is. It doesn't matter what it is. You don't have doesn't have to be about their Viagra. It could be about, you know, I see you've been taking I see you've been taking the prindapril for for years. And I've never thought to ask you how's your blood pressure. You know, what's it up to? And he says, oh, actually, it's really high. And you say, oh, okay, well, let's have a look. Um so it doesn't have to be profound um and please don't think it has to be profound of course profound is wonderful we all love doing things that are profound and and um you know making you know, getting somebody back in bed with their partner having fulfilling in a course you know that's great of course it is but uh it doesn't have to be like that it can just be a simple question about how they're getting on with something that they've been on for years so, you know you check their script every month without asking them anything about it, it becomes very transactional. And I think as community pharmacists, we want to get, get away from being transactional where we can. And of course, at times you have to be transactional. We all do. But um, by getting your staff upskilled a little bit so they're willing and confident to, to ask how the patient's getting on with this medication they've been on for ages is a really good start. So I'd start small, start what I say, start low, go slow. And um, And if it looks like it's working and you're you're enjoying what you're doing, then yeah, by all means, you know, think about ramping it up, thinking about how you can implement a more regular service where you're asking these questions um, or or asking more pointed questions around certain topic areas, um, you know, areas of patient health that that you might be able to turn into a service.
1: And finally, Curtis Runo from Emerton MCAL Pharmacy talked about his experiences in practicing community profiling in episode 100. Well, speaking about meeting people where they are, there may be a little bit of a perception out there that community profiling might only be undertaken in rural or remote community settings. But really, it's an exercise which can be done across pretty much all metro, rural and and remote settings. It is probably, for want of a better phrase, setting agnostic, so to speak. And you have been able to demonstrate that with your pharmacy. Can you share that with us?
9: For sure, the Blacktown LGA, who doesn't understand what an LGA is nowadays, whereas two years ago, I think we all had no idea. But anyway, the Blacktown LGA has over 160 different nationalities, not including, of course, the different countries that our indigenous population comes from. And as I said before, the ABS census data is a good source of this information in a general sense. But as John Briggs said, in the earlier podcast. There's no substitute for going out and just meeting people. Relationship before partnership is one of Johnny Briggs' catchphrases. And it's what we've done. We've really just tried to get out and meet people. Yes, definitely having a look at the ABS census data and comparing that with our own uh, demographics where we grew up, where we were as kids, all of that sort of thing has made it easier to connect with our local populations, but it it really was a lot more organic, not as, as intentional as that and really a lot of the trying to understand the demographics of our community has come through as a part of the process rather than at the start of the process and then saying, right, well, the biggest population group is this. It's it's not really been that. It's really just been, as I said, trying to meet people where they are and enjoying being there with them and then trying to learn a little bit more about the, the area and the population.
1: So you undertake that work. You learn a lot of demographic data. As you said, I think it was 165 nationalities as well as the indigenous nations in the area, the Blacktown LGA. You learn a lot of demographic data. You're trying to meet people where they are. How did what you learn actually get translated into the pharmacy business and change how you connect and approach with those groups?
9: It's funny, over the last probably year and a half, two years, an idea is really crystallised in my mind that our job is health literacy. However, looking at that ABS data, you realise that what we would describe as simple literacy just isn't a strength for a lot of our population. So for us, we um, we realise then that we need to tailor our conversations with people to help improve their health literacy but not assuming that they have great literacy to start off with and of course you can't be terribly health literate if you're not literate in the first sense so for us that um that health literacy really underpins so much of what we do with our communities and it really helps us to focus what we do. And I suppose a good example of that would be that at a local alcohol and other drugs service that we uh, volunteer at quite regularly, um, which I'll refer to as AOD, and I'll apologise for the acronyms up front, but um, at the local AOD service that we go to, we speak at their men's group regularly. And Margaret actually took our intern up there last Friday. And you would think that a men's group would prefer to speak to a man. There aren't an awful lot of men working in health, particularly not in that health promotion space. So I do tend to take the lead on that. But Margaret had an absolute ball with that group. I told her that she'd need to prepare to speak for about 15 minutes and then open up for questions she didn't realise that the questions would last for another hour and a quarter after that and the feedback that she got right there in the room from the men who'd turned up and who were asking those questions was just made her feel so much better about actually turning up and I think it underpins that idea that health literacy is really what we should be focusing on and if people understand why they're doing what they're doing or why we're asking them to do something, then I think they're more likely to do it and to follow it and hopefully then be healthier, happier, live longer and happier lives.
1: That's a wrap for volume eight of the best bits of the PBCM podcast, which was part one of our two-part look back at 2022. I've been your host, Daniel Loyston, and it's been a pleasure and fantastic having you join me to revisit some of the amazing stories, experiences, insights, and advice from our guests. And once again, thank you to everybody who came on the show to make these episodes happen. I know we are all truly grateful that they found some time in their busy schedule to come on the show. The Guild is dedicated to supporting members and the Community Pharmacy Network with tools, resources, and information to assist businesses and career growth and improvement. For more information, contact your local Guild branch and visit the Guild website at guild.org.au. I look forward to you joining us for volume nine of the best bits of the PBCN podcast, which will be part two of our look back at 2022. For now, you've been listening to episode 114 of the PBCN podcast.
0: The PBCN podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. For more resources, to access support or
2: advice, or to view this episode's show notes, visit guild.org.au.